Hey, it's Brian Cook, your host here. Wanted to let you know we now have t-shirts. Would you like to support the podcast? Have you noticed that I can't get a sponsor because this show's too filthy? Hey, it'd be great if some people ordered shirts. They're great-looking shirts. Go to estoymerchandise.com, E-S-T-O-Y merchandise.com. You'll find competitive erotic fanfiction on the right-hand side. Click on that, and you can order shirts. There's men's and women's sizes. It's a great design by my buddy Mark Palm in Seattle. He does all of our amazing poster art. Uh, please support the podcast. It would help us out a ton. That's estoymerchandise.com. E-S-T-O-Y merchandise.com. Now entering Nerdist.com. Hello and welcome to episode 160 of the Competitive Erotic Fan Fiction Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Cook, and you've found the Internet's number one most trusted source for Muppet boners and horny loners. Upcoming shows include March 20th at The Virgil and April 17th, also at The Virgil, that's in Los Angeles, California. April 17th is going to be a very special show. I cannot announce details yet, but mark your calendars. It's going to be a good one. Today we got round two from the last LA Championship edition, recorded December 20th, 2015, also at the Virgil, and this features Guy Branham, Emmy Blotnick, Aaron Whitehead, James Fritz, and Moshe Kasher, reading pieces they wrote based upon audience suggestions. First you'll hear them draw topics, then we will fast forward into the future to hear the finished pieces. Enjoy. For uh, your round two comics, we'll be writing based upon your suggestions, Aaron Whitehead, Guy Branham, Moshe Kasher, James Fritz, and Emmy Blotnick, ladies and gentlemen. All the way to the mic, please, people. You can do better than that. Pretend you're at a comedy show and clap your goddamn hands, the Virgil. That is more like it. Let's start with Aaron Whitehead. Clap your hands for Aaron. Get a mic right there. There you go. Oh, hi. Hi. Uh, so here's how this part works. If she likes the first suggestion I draw, she can take it and run with it. If she doesn't like it, I will draw a second one, and then you will all vote with your applause on which one she has to write. Aaron, your first option is Problem Child. I'll take it. You take it? Aaron Whitehead, clap your hands. Keep it going for Emmy Blotnick. <laughs> Emmy, your first option is the Super Bowl Shuffle. <laughs> Sports. You want to hear another one? Yeah. All right. I can tell by the look in your eye. Uh, Mumford and Sons is your Fuck second option. yes. <laughs> so, who wants to hear the Super Bowl Shuffle? Who remembers what the Super Bowl Shuffle even is? All right, that's why. <laughs> uh, Mumford and Sons. Yeah. Of course you do. Emmy Blotnick. Thank you. Keep it going for Mr. Moshe Kasher. Yeah, I got some uh, cook. My mother-in-law this made some cheating. cookies. and uh, cheating. You know, Emily said I might be currying favor, and I told her I was actually currying flavor. Uh, you are officially Boo, off the show. fuck you. I'm you sorry. can't have a fuck you, too. <laughs> anyway, anyway, I came in each of these cookies, so I wanted to pass them out if anybody wants some cookies. Great, great. No, this is the perfect time to do that. <laughs> why, why? Oh, I'm sorry. Do you run a tight ship here? <laughs> uh, your first option is Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Yeah! yeah. I'll do that. You taking that? Cool. Yeah, yeah, cool. There you go. Yeah. Moshe Kasher, keep it going for Guy Branham. Uh, guy, your first option is the Aflac duck. I'd like to see what my other options are, Brian. All right. Uh, my pretty pony. I would like that one, Brian. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not up to you. Who wants to hear the Aflac duck? All right, my pretty pony. Ah, guys, my pretty pony. There you go. And finally, Mr. James Fritz. 
Uh, your first option is Dance Dance Revolution. Next option, please. All right. 37. Yes. Uh, <laughs> all right. I don't usually allow you to combine them, but I like this so much I'm going to do it. Donald Trump and Martin Shkreli. Oh, I thought you meant Sometimes Donald Trump laugh. doing Dance Dance Revolution. Uh, no, it's, you could, if you want to do that, you're Whoa. welcome to. Um, who, who wants to hear Dance Dance Revolution? Woo! Who wants to hear Trump and Shkreli? Yeah! All right. Trump and Shkreli it is. James Fritz. Clap your hands for James. Guy Branham, ladies and gentlemen, get the clapping starting now. He'll be down in a minute. It was December 24th. Oh, my, my topic is silver... Sh oh, no. <laughs> my topic is My Pretty Pony. It was December 24th, 1981, and a young Guy Branham was resigned. It had been a rough year, starting first grade, dealing with that bitch Mrs. Ferguson in first grade. Of course, having to stop going by his family nickname Mikey and accept the truth of his strange, old-fashioned named Guy. And, worst of all, the urination in class incident of October. <laughs> it had been pretty rough, but tonight, on this night, certain truths were becoming evident. Guy had, on that evening, gotten his Christmas Eve present. His mom was Jewish, but Hanukkah wasn't really a showtime holiday, so his family just kind of went all in on that Christmas thing. And despite his requests, pleadings, and protestations that he wanted a My Pretty Pony, a pony with real hair you could brush in style, he had received a lamp in the shape of a Seattle Seahawks football helmet. <laughs> his family lived nowhere near Seattle, and his dad was a Redskins fan. But it wasn't until years later that he actually realized what a truly odd choice that gift was. <laughs> All Guy knew was that it wasn't something that was fun to play with. It wasn't G.I. Joe's or He-Man or what he really wanted, a Barbie of his own. Or even what he consented was a reasonable compromise candidate in My Pretty Pony. Uh, it was just a fucking football lamp. Guy, realizing that growing up meant he would never really have the, he would never have the really fun toys, the ones with the senses of beauty and accessories options, <laughs> climbed into his bunk bed and hoped that the following morning's trove of toys would include some gentle blessing or at least something with hair that he could cut that would magically regrow. <laughs> Guy fell into the kind of sleep that only a 4'11", 140-pound five-year-old can. <laughs> A sleep that pulled him through the boundaries of space and time to a bright, happy meadow full of sunshine and pleasure. Now, Guy should have understood that he was far, far away from home because it was December and he was standing in a warm meadow. But Guy was from Northern California, which is pretty much a warm meadow eight months out of the year, barring drought conditions. Guy looked around overjoyed until he remembered hate, uh, that he hated being outside and wished he was somewhere comfortable. There was somewhere comfortable for him to sit. <laughs> Sorry, I think popped up. Uh, so he could read one of his sister's books about being a plucky babysitter. <laughs> Guy was an astoundingly strong reader for a creepily gigantic five-year-old. <laughs> Just then, a pony galloped up with beautiful pink hair and pink fur and seven hearts on its rear flank that had presumably been branded there by its owner. <laughs> The pony spoke. Hello, Mikey Branham. Would you like to ride me? No, said Guy. I would not like to ride you. I would like to brush your hair. You're not supposed to call me Mike or Mikey because there are already six Mikes in my class because I was born in 1975 and everyone named their child Michael or Jennifer because they lacked originality. 
But Mikey, said the pony, this is a magical meadow that exists just for you. And here you are called Mikey, and you can do everything you want. Mikey looked down and saw a brush in his hand, a big prank brush just waiting to get all that shiny plastic hair. Mikey sunk its bristles into the glorious mane and pulled and pulled, and it was everything he had imagined. It was everything he had loved when he had brushed his sister's hair, or his mom's, or his sister's Barbie's hair, and it was better than Sanger, the German Shepherd's hair, because it lacked the musty funk of outside. (laughs) Mikey was ecstatic. He was able to, to do it, and he knew his parents wouldn't walk in, and he knew his sister wouldn't say, Stop it. That's my Russian-style Barbie head. Get away. His little body filled with power and authority. Just then, one of his testicles descended. <laughs> can I braid your tail, Mikey asked the pony. Yes, said the pony. You can do anything you want. I want to braid just one little braid on your mane and put a pretty ribbon on it. And then I want to braid your tail. The whole tail. (laughs) Get it, said the pony. (laughs) Guy braided. He braided like a motherfucker, pulling hair over hair. So tight, so precise, no strays anywhere. Soon the job was done and he was ecstatic, but also filled with new energy. This life, this life without fear, pursuing what he wanted, it felt awesome. What do you want to do, said the pony. I don't know. I feel like I have everything. The only other things I want, they are things I cannot do. The pony whinnied and pulled back her lips. Things like what? I would like to French braid. (laughs) To Mikey, there was no greater sophistication than the French braid. The braid so francy, they named it after France. But it... But French braiding is a secret art form known only to women. If a boy asked to learn how to French braid, he would immediately be sent outside to work. (laughs) Don't worry, Mikey. In this meadow, no one has to mow the lawn or watch his dad do small engine repair. Now, I will teach you to French braid. Just then, in I Can Be a Zoo Doctor Barbie, cast a spell the one of sheerest friends who could do magic, and a strawberry shortcake walked out of the forest and waved high. They came over and asked Mikey if he wanted to be friends. He said yes. They sat down Indian style in front of Guy, and he looked at their heads. He buried his head in strawberry shortcake's hair because it smelled like fake strawberries. He breathed it in. He touched the golden locks of Barbie, but he knew whose hair he wanted to French braid. It was Castaspella. She could do magic. Magic, like French braids, was an ancient female art form entirely denied to Mikey. (laughs) Under the pony's firm but gentle instruction, he constructed a perfect honey blonde French braid. Castaspella said she looked great. Mikey knew she was right. He was innervated, filled with energy, and possibilities he never knew before. Pony, he said, can we go to other parts of the meadow and do other wonderful things? Get on my back, said the pony, and they journeyed off and did all the things Mikey wanted to do. He touched the man boob muscles of Harry Hamlin from Clash of the Titans. He stood next to Conan the Barbarian and felt his thighs, and they felt good. He went to a lake full of nothing but men who modeled underwear in the Sears catalog, and he looked at the meaty lumps in the front of their underwear, and he liked it. (laughs) It was a glorious afternoon full of everything he could have wanted. And finally, they ended up at the place he knew too well, the home of Ricky Schroeder on Silver Spoons. (laughs) Ricky Schroeder was blonde and handsome and normal size for a boy his age and happy. (laughs) Unlike Mikey, he was the happiest person ever. Mikey was so scared. 
He got off the pony and he walked up to the house. He knew he had to do this on his own. He knocked on the door and the butler guy opened it and said, Master Richard, your guest is here. Mikey walked into a house with all the toys and a new computer and all the best stuff. And Ricky, who was also the best stuff. <laughs> Mikey walked up to him and was too scared to even speak. Ricky took Mikey by the hand and said, I am better than you, richer and prettier and blonder and not nearly as small, smart, but that makes me better in a small farm town in Northern California. I am better than you, but I like you. And then he kissed Mikey. <laughs> and back is Mikey's bunk bed in Yuba City, California. He peed himself harder and longer than he had ever peed himself before. Thank you very much. Guy Branham. Who else we got? Keep it going for Moshe Kasher. He's right in there. I saw him. I promise. The disciples rolled their eyes at one another knowingly. This always happens, said one of them, feeling a little sorry for Mary. Typical Jesus Christ. He's not there, Mary. This was totally typical of Jesus. He was a ball of charisma. A blonde, blue-eyed, white-skinned, cream-complected, fair-countenanced, absolutely white-skinned person. By the way, Jesus was white. He was also a long-haired beauty with fingers of magic and a thick, circumcised dick that made women feel like he was walking on water. He was a user, an abuser, a true womanizer. That's how Matthew had met Jesus himself. He was at a conference set up to teach people like him how to get Judean women in bed. Jesus had promised Matthew and his brother that in a few short seminar meetings, he'd teach Matt to fuck any woman he'd see. You come to my seminar, and I'll teach you how to be a fisher of women. Sink, sink your hook into her and multiply that fish, if you know what I mean. Matthew did not. But he soon found out. Jesus' seminar had always made Matthew uncomfortable. It seemed to him to be nothing more than a system designed to teach men to be dishonest and to use women for sex. That's not what Matthew wanted. He wanted a wife. He wanted love. He wanted rules. But Jesus always said the same thing. Dude, stop being a fucking pussy. Jesus is not about love. He's about splitting guts and busting nuts. The seminar was essentially a series of lessons in subterfuge. You gotta grow your hair long, dog. Bitches love long-ass hair because it reminds them of themselves and being all lesbianic and shit. Chicks fucking love that. Eventually, Matthew just stopped attending the seminars, but Jesus kept coming around and insisting on doing magic tricks to impress the women at the parties that Matthew would attend. You like bread, he'd say, and then he'd, he'd, everybody would be like, bread? And Jesus would be like, hell yeah, bread, and pull out like 70 loaves of bread from his gown and be like, magic. <laughs> No one would be impressed at all, but Jesus would be like, I'm a magician, cool, right? And women would actually fall for him. And one of those women was Mary. Mary, fuck, oh, Mary. Matthew fell for her the moment he'd seen her. He loved everything about her. Her smile, her little laugh, her simple faith. 
Matthew had been dating her for about a month when Jesus came back around, tweaked out on meth that he'd been shooting during his little sojourn in the desert. (laughs) The devil tempted me back there, man, but I stayed strong and I came back here to find and fuck as many Jew bitches as I could, brother. (laughs) Jesus laughed hysterically the way he always did when he was drunk on endless wine that he managed to always have around. Okay, that's cool, Jesus, but, um... Just not, hey, not Mary, okay? Like, I'm kind of sweet on her, and oh, I'm kind of sweet on her, and Jesus, dude, did you go faggot while I was in the desert or some shit? You sneak off into a Roman bathhouse and get buttfucked by a Roman or some shit? Uh, no, Jesus. I, I just think, like, I'm falling in love with her. You're falling in love with that chick? Dude, she's a whore, bro. What kind of chick you chuck, chuck, and buck, buck, buck? <laughs> What was that last part? The buck, buck, buck. Matthew was super confused by Jesus sometimes. You buck, dog, like a bronco, like a horse, like buck, buck, like a horse. What the fuck is a horse, said Matthew. A horse, it's like, it's like a skinny-ass camel with a way tighter pussy. You fuck animals? My name is Jesus H. Christ, bro. What you think the H stands for? Horse fucker. I'll fuck any pussy I can, even Gentile pussy. Ew, that was too much for Matthew. Ew, dude, gross. Not Gentile. Well, anyway, listen, if you just steer clear of Mary, like, I'd really appreciate it. But even as he said it, Matthew knew it was too late. He was barely even surprised when he walked in on Mary and Jesus running in the manger behind the party later that night. It was hard to watch. Matthew was furious, a kind of anger he'd never known before. And it was difficult, too, when Jesus took off, leaving Mary to pine over him. She was heartbroken and constantly calling and complaining about him, talking about Jesus, how hot he was, how nice his abs were, how he was so hung, how she'd never get over him. Matthew knew he needed to do something if he could have a chance to be with the girl he loved. He had to get rid of Jesus. So he drove out to the desert to a bar where Jesus hung out at, this place called The Last Supper. And he asked Jesus if he could talk to him. He asked politely a couple times out there for Jesus to promise never to see Mary again, but Jesus just kept laughing at him. Dude, I'm the way, the truth, and the light. Like, nobody gets to orgasm but by me. I'm warning you, said Matthew, you gotta leave her alone or else. Or else what, dog? Or, or, or else I'll, I'll kill you. You don't have the guts. No, but, but I do have the stick. And just like that, Matthew drove a wooden spear into Jesus' side. Oh, shit, I always thought it'd be Jesus, said Judas, said Jesus. It's confusing, just like the Bible is. I always thought it'd be Judas. Matthew pulled back and drove the spear all the way through Jesus' asshole, and it popped out of his mouth. And strangely, Matthew found his own cock had gotten rock hard. As he pulled Jesus off the spear, his still barely alive body heaving, spewing blood everywhere, Matthew said, forgive me, Father, I know just where to goo. And Matthew flipped Jesus over, spraying hot cum into his dying asshole. As Jesus slipped off into the next realm, the last words he heard was, you fucked me, now I fuck you. Never forget, you were killed by a Jew. And just like that, Jesus Christ was dead. 
Great, thought Matthew, realizing for the first time that his desire for love was just a mask that he wore on top of his instinct to kill. (laughs) Now I am God, and no one will remember Jesus Christ. They will worship me, Matthew. And Matthew skinned uh, Jesus, taking special care with his scalp. And as he tried on Jesus' skin, he tucked his now-spent cock into his own butt crack, whispering, Would you fuck me? I'd fuck me. And he took his camel down to Mary's place, dressed up in Jesus' skin and gown. And as he laid Mary down for the first, and what he now knew was the last time, as he knew the skin would eventually leatherize, he pumped into her, saying, Oh, say I'm God. Say I'm your fucking God. Jesus is God, Mary screamed. And Matthew came, and as he rolled over, he told Mary, I'm leaving again now, Mary. Tell everyone that I fucked you. Tell the world. And Mary did. And Matthew knew that at least she'd remember that time that they fucked. And that was as close to love as Matthew would ever come. That's it. <laughs> Moshe Kasher. Ready? Keep it going for Emmy Blotnick. This is Mumford and Sons. You did this. All right. Mumford, or sorry, Marcus Mumford paced around backstage at the Glastonbury Music Festival, which is a British music festival, which Mumford and Sons was headlining because they are a British band, even though they are terrible enough to be Southern. (laughs) Marcus looked anxious. His bandmates Winston, Ben, and Ted, who together comprise the Sons, though none of them actually are his sons, entered the room and said, Ready for our ritual pre-show orgy? Their album was the fastest-selling rock album of the decade, and they were also the fastest at jizzing in each other. (laughs) But tonight was different. I'm sorry, guys, said Marcus. I'm having trouble getting into character as your father. Marcus, come on, said Winston. I need you to choke me with my vintage suspenders again. You know I play my stupid little mandolin so much better after I've had a good dandy choking. This would be better in a British accent, but too bad. Marcus shook his head no. What about me, said Ben. You know I play my pipes better after you've stuffed my itchy trouser socks in my mouth. I don't know if there are panpipes in this band, but they're annoying enough that they seem like they would have panpipes. Anyway, Marcus shook his head no again. What about me, said Ted. Surely you'll still fuck me before the show. Marcus, please, I need you to flick my clit like they're your banjo strings. Ted has a clit. Marcus shook his head no yet again I'm sorry to blue ball you boys I just feel short on inspiration Mumford and Sons were used to having blue balls Their cocks had all grown translucent and bluish From being British But also also because Marcus punished them regularly The only thing holding this band together Was their abusive father incest fantasy orgies And without them they could barely holler one of their terrible folk songs In fact, at one point, 
There had been a fourth son, Wilson, but he died during one orgy after Marcus shoved a feathered, boiled wool fedora up his butt so hard it came out his mouth. It was a gruesome scene, but everybody blasted really hard that time. And continues to blast hard about it to this day. But tonight, the band all sat on their old-timey hat boxes and frowned. Ted tried rubbing his clit, but was completely dry. Just then, the door flung open. A man concealed in shadows called out, Did somebody say abusive father incest fantasy orgies? Marcus answered, Yeah, it was the narrator who said that. It's weird that you could hear that. Who the hell are you? I am Tim Rice Oxley, and this is Richard Hughes, Tom Chaplin, and Jesse Quinn. Marcus answered, okay, uh, who the hell are you? They were the only British band worse than Mumford and Sons, the weepy, dickless, piano mom rock band Keen. You remember Keen, but you wish you didn't. We are Keen, said Keen. Tonight, we are your sons, and we've been very, very bad. You are bad, said Marcus, who was right about something for once. (laughs) Get your mushy flat asses over here. In one swift motion, Marcus tore off his crackly 17th century leather belt, sending a thick cloud of dust into the air. He tore off all the men's clothing as if they were Adidas tracksuits and not linen separates from J. Jill, which they were. (laughs) Before the sons could even blink, Marcus was serving up terrible dick to Keen. Their moans of pleasure were soprano and harmonized annoyingly. Meanwhile, Mumford's sons were all jerking it furiously to being neglected. It was kind of fucked up, but what are you going to do? That's what they're into. (laughs) Before long, the band members were all blowing each other and sucking each other's toes. Every orifice was filled, including their banjos, mandolins, and rusty harmonicas, which hurt real good. (laughs) Just then, the door flung open again. Who is there? bellowed Marcus. Who the hell thinks they can come in Daddy's house? (laughs) It's us, they answered. The arcade fire! (laughs) Why the hell are you here? yelled Marcus. You guys are a decent band. I think the narrator just threw us in here because all of our bands confuse black people on Twitter when we win at music award shows. (laughs) But you guys are right. This orgy is absolutely beneath us. Enjoy barking your shitty soft folk out there, you Freudian nightmare goobers. Arcade Fire left the dressing room, went back to the airport, and flew home. Meanwhile, Keen and Mumford and Sons had bonded so intensely they decided to Brady Bunch their bands into a horrific supergroup. Let's make some depressed divorce people happy out there, said Marcus. <laughs> then Marcus took out one of his 700 Grammy Awards and everyone blew their loads right in the horn. <laughs> Except for Ted, who squirted stinky pee into an old handkerchief. <laughs> the end. Emmy Blotnick. Oh, give it over Aaron Whitehead. Problem child. <clears throat> Problem child to me is 
I have a problem because I want a child, but I hate sex so fucking much. I probably can't have one. But this story isn't about me. This story is about a doll named Chucky, whose only problem in life is that he wants to be a real child, not a doll. Actually, I think that movie is called Chucky, and now I think about it, I'm not sure I know what problem child is. Oh, wait. It's the movie where an adopted boy shows all the signs of being a total fucking sociopath whose only future can be growing into a large, white, red-headed man who loves to cause pain, especially to women who he secretly wishes were the mommy he never had. The mommy whose body likely died at the physical realization that after this little psychopath man-to-be clawed his way out of her now-torn-up, wet, pink pussy... See, I'm getting to the erotica. <laughs> and the afterbirth and placenta slithered out like a gooey baby basilisk skin. A basilisk is a muggle-murdering snake from Harry Potter. <laughs> but this story is not about Harry Potter. It's about a shitty orphan, not a banned one. <laughs> anyway... After the slimy placenta wiggled out, leaving her pussy a bloody hallway trespassed upon by this weird sociopath ginger, her body gave up and died, sensing the horror it had created. Which brings us to about six years later to our story and to our hero. Not Chucky, not Harry Potter, not the baby that I, Aaron Whitehead, will probably never have. (laughs) Our hero's name is Junior. About four foot one, husky. Tiny, quivering muscles beneath a too-tight Oshkosh bagosh striped shirt. His overalls gape just slightly, hinting that beneath those size three trousers there might be pull-ups or there might be some other kind of package. Holding not shit, but child ween. Pink, (laughs) peanut-sized ginger child ween. On this particular day, Junior was particularly riled up. He had seen a mother walk by, her infant's milky lips suckling her rock-hard lactating breast as she cooed and whispered in its ear. Junior was overcome both by insane jealousy, knowing his own mother had dropped dead before he could get his red mouth on her wrinkly nipple and latch onto that sweet, sweet mommy teat. (laughs) And also overcome with a strong desire to trick her into changing his pull-ups and then somehow get his ween inside her and fill her with his child sperm. (laughs) He feigned crying, and she turned toward him, surprising her infant, whose cherub mouth clamped down on her blushing nipple and choked a bit, breast milk dribbling down her bosom like its daddy's cum surely had many times. (laughs) Junior felt himself get hard, and his manhood, well, his childhood... Doubled in size to nearly two inches long. (laughs) Just the thought of getting inside a mommy again was almost too much. You poor thing, she said, voice husky from sleepless nights. Where's your mommy? Diaper? Junior asked, pointing to his round, supple, pull-up clad bottom. (laughs) Oh, gosh. She looked around the park. Oh, yeah, we're at a park. I suppose I could help you. Infant still clamped to her front, she crouched. As she did, Junior glimpsed giant, loose, waist-high panties, the crotch stained with old period blood. She was down to the C-list undies today. (laughs) He lay back, feeling sand in his red hair, and trembled as she unbuckled his overalls with a simple flick. Clearly, she had done this before. (laughs) She had his overalls around his ankles before he could even whisper, Mommy. 
Then he heard it, the ripping of tape from plastic as she ready to clean diaper. The infant gaped at him with giant, watery eyes. She slid her fingers beneath the waist of his pull-ups and slid them down, exposing his tiny, hard, circus peanut penis. She smelled a bit sour like old breast milk, but also earthy like Cheerio dust. It was more than Junior could take. He thrust one chubby arm forward, yanked the stained crotch of her panties aside, launched his little hips forward, and inserted his child dick into her stretched-out, still-sore-from-birth pussy. Oh, God, she moaned. She knew she shouldn't enjoy it, but it was so many things all at once. Sex, a child in need, and whatever she... she, Whatever. She'd just tell her friends what she always did. I had mommy brain, and then they'd all laugh and keep drinking Chardonnay. Down below, Junior pumped away. He had to finish what he started. Last time he'd been near a woman's pussy, it hadn't gone well. She had died. Uh, (laughs) She had died giving birth, or maybe just abandoned him. The movie isn't 100% clear on this. And death is sexier, so let's go with that. This time, though, things would be different. What at first had been a sensual yet whimsical tickle as Junior's baby cock poked inside her became suddenly more as he shoved his head up into her elastic vagina canal, finally going home (laughs) and executing a really great prank, which, oh yeah, that was a thing he was known for. Up he climbed as the woman, still wide and loose from her 48-hour labor, could do nothing but let him wriggle his way back into her womb. The next day. <laughs> At school, it's Junior's turn for show and tell. A wooman with an infant sits in his pl- with an infant sits at its place. I don't know. In the circle. I'm here for Junior, she tells the class. Wonderful, says Junior's teacher. Yes. Isn't it wonderful I have a mommy again? Yelled Junior from inside the woman. <laughs> but he was so excited he accidentally kicked out. His red sneaker burst from her abdomen and killed her instantly. (laughs) Junior clawed himself out of her innards just as he'd clawed his way from his mother's vagina years ago. Not again, he said. The class started crying. But the teacher, Miss Whitehead, said, Don't worry, Junior. I want a baby, and I want to fuck you. And so they fucked for show and tell. (laughs) Aaron Whitehead. All right, where's Jimmy Fritz? There he is. Keep it going for James Fritz. Uh, This is kind of more of a romance, so bear with me. (laughs) What did I have? I had Donald Trump and Jiminy Glick. What's that guy's name? Martin Shkreli. Martin Shkreli. Yeah, okay. You and your driver wait outside a New York City police station. The limo idles as you crack the window from your back seat, your bloated lizard eyes squinting in the New York City sun. Odd for this time of year, but then again, nothing has been quite normal lately. You're not waiting on a lady. You're just waiting on a friend. It's a reference. Uh, finally, <laughs> finally, after an hour that seems like, seems like an eternity because rich time is worth more than other people's, <laughs> You could be getting so many, many, many nondescript things done. But finally you see your man, your boy, your more man, (laughs) Martin, 
Martin walks out through the media throng, the dumb, fat, loser media, with their photographers and people who record what you say and then make you answer for what you say, and you want to just fire them. You want to fire everybody. You want to just run away. You want to fire everyone in the whole world. Everybody but Martin. This kid gets it. (laughs) Raising the cost of eight drugs 2,000%. You wish you'd thought of that. (laughs) These bleeding hearts paint you as a monster, but what they don't understand is they made you. The world is cold. Capitalism runs through your blood. They made you this monster. Now they want to destroy you. They call you ugly. They call him scum. But you guys get it. If people didn't want to die of AIDS, they should have been born rich. (laughs) You can't wait for little Martin to make it to the limo. That walk seems like an eternity. To them, he's a monster, but to you, he walks in the air between the rain and through yourself and back again. Well, I don't know. for the Counting Crows fans, of which there are none. All right. (laughs) It's unfair for these people to give Martin a hard time. Let him into the limo, you renters. Let him in. Let him in so he can feel the warmth of his Donald's embrace, the protection, the safety. Only when you two are together does the world fall away. You've been confused your whole life. You fucked baronesses. You fucked stars. You fucked your own daughter. But nothing has felt like this, this confusing rush, like hairspray blowing through your hair on a warm fall day. You wish you could deport every other person except Martin until you two can figure it out. (laughs) You want to just open the door and run to him, but you can't. Everyone would see. Besides, you haven't opened your own door in 30 years. Just as you're about to explode with anticipation, his hand touches the door and he rushes inside, weeping like a black family that you kicked out of their home in the 1980s. (laughs) You hold him tight to your suit, his suit touching yours. You wish these suits didn't exist sometimes, these tailored prisons. You wish you could just... You wish you just could just comfort each other skin on skin, privilege on privilege, like a young Republican house party. Martin screamed, cries into your ear. They were so mean to me. They don't get the pressure I'm under to be a harbinger of the apocalypse. Shh, shh, you say. I understand. Then you say the one thing you know that will make him feel better. Let's go watch bum fight videos. (laughs) Martin smiles, a hard-fought smile. What's left of the blood in your dying body floods completely to your penis. This is the biggest erection you've ever had, and still it only has the size and shape of a Vienna sausage. And the texture. And the smell. You come inside your $1,000 dress pants. The cum has the consistency of the gelatin from a can of Vienna sausage. You smile because you know you'll have ten new pairs of pants delivered to your house by noon. You don't care. That was the best orgasm you've ever had. And some things even you can't put a price on. Thank you. James Fritz. Let's get everybody back to the stage. Jimmy, stay right here. For all your round two comics. 
all right. Once again, I'm going to remind you of what everybody read. No voting yet. We'll vote in a second. Uh, we started with Guy Branham with My Pretty Pony, then Moshe Kasher with Jesus and Mary Magdalene, uh, Emmy Blotnick with Mumford and Sons, Aaron Whitehead with Problem Child, and finally James Fritz with Trump and Shkreli. So pick a favor with your applause, starting with Guy Branham, My Pretty Pony. Moshe Kasher, Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Cookies, cookies. Cookies. And the cookies. <laughs> uh, Emmy Blotnick, Mumford and Sons. Aaron Whitehead, Problem Child. No bow. Okay, no bow. Okay. Good. <laughs> Moshe started it. And finally, James Fritz with Trump and Shkreli. I believe that's Mr. Guy Branham with My Pretty Pony, your round two champion. Let's hope this Christmas is better. Uh, guys, thank you so much for coming out. This has been our show. Uh, we do this third Sunday every month. Uh, I've been your host, Brian Cook. Thank you so much. Have a great night. That does it for round two. To hear round one from this show, you can go back and download episode 159. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It's a big help as our positive comments. And for more details on upcoming shows, you can follow me on Twitter at Brian Cooking or the show at CE Fanfic. See you next time. Now leaving Nerdist.com.